joined on the Football CFB podcast today by Craig Harrison, who is currently assistant coach at Connors Key Romads and has had a very good playing career as well. Craig, thanks for joining me. No problem. Great to see you, Callum. I want to start by talking about your playing career, but before we get into it, yeah. I think we need to get to the big character first, Gaza. Paul Gascoigne, what was he like? Yeah, you know, it, it was a dream come true, you know, a long, long time ago, probably when I was growing up, 9, 10, 11 year old, I played for a boys club called Regent Boys Club, which was in Gateshead. In Gaza, I played for them as well. Obviously, Gaza's probably about seven, eight years older than me. So he was he was an icon from the boys' club about someone who had went through, you know, from a, just a local lad from Gateshead who was a working-class lad with a working-class family who loved football and obviously went on to sign for Newcastle, Tottenham, Lazio, and then I had the privilege of, you know, playing with him at Middlesbrough, which was, you know, from my point of view, it was just a, a unbelievably surreal experience every day. You know, there was occasions as well, because he was staying at home with his mum and dad, there was occasions that I would pick him up and bring him into training, the Hayworth training ground. You know, he'd drop us a text or a call and say, you know, Jimmy couldn't help them, which was Jimmy Five Bellies at the time. The women, Jimmy were very good friends. Jimmy was busy. Yeah, can you pick us up or can you drop us off? Or, you know, and just spending that half an hour, 35 minutes of me and him in the car. You know, it's a wonder, I ne- <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, it's a wonder I didn't crash the car because there was times I must have just been, he must have been thinking, what are you looking at? Stop staring at us. You know, because it was it was just someone who I'd seen from, from a boy boyhood footballer all the way through to Newcastle in the team with him, Waddle, Beardley, and then right the way through to, you know, be actually on the same pitch and in the same dressing room as him. In terms of him, how good was he even at that stage at Middlesbrough? You know, there's no getting about and getting around it. He was at the end of his career, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, he's obviously had a lot of injuries and, you know, and his problems have been well documented. But he's still to this day, without a shadow of a doubt, the best one-touch footballer I've, I've ever played or seen with in the flesh. You know, he, he'd lost his half a yard where he used to burst past people, you know, and just use his arms to get past people, which was something that he'd done unbelievably well. He had a great change of pace. He was never the quickest, but he had a great change of pace. And he was also, as much as people give him a lot of stick about being overweight, he was one of the fittest players at the club at the time. You know, he'd do any long runs, he'd be at the front, he'd work hard, his training was everything. And, you know, but, but just from a point of view of, of actual ability-wise, he was still unbelievable. Like I said, we'd play the keep ball possessions, we'd play games. You know, he could, he could hit a pass with one touch, two touch. He could hit a pass... 50, 60 yards on one touch, you could set a little cushion pass off. Everything was just perfect, the feel. And I, and I suppose that was just all his natural ability. In terms of him, he's obviously not just a great player, but a great person in terms of the mm. stories about him. What were some of the things that you saw him get up to? Yeah, you know, the, the, there's a lot of them all well documented, you know, they're all out there. You know, Every person that's been in the in the company of a, in a dressing room of of, of Gaza has got their own stories to tell, you know, and I was, I was in the squad in, in the situation when he took the team bus, you know, and he crashed at the end, the driver her with, you know, and, and the, the, you know, there's other, there's, there's a hundred and one different things, you know, there's, there's, there's lots and lots and lots of, they've all been well documented, you know, but I think what, what the biggest thing as well is that what, what I think, I think people do say it, but fortunately I had the, the, I had the time I spent with him on one-on situations, and he was actually a really, really nice guy. He had a massive heart. He was a caring person. 
He'd do anything for you. You know, he'd help you if you needed it. You know, he was fantastic with the younger players, giving advice. And just generally, he wasn't one that would just walk about, didn't speak to anyone. He was genuinely a really, really nice guy, as well as being one of the best ever England players. Being based in the North East, what was it like for you coming through at Middlesbrough? Yeah, it was brilliant. You know, I don't support a football club, but, you know, I was brought up, me, me dad supports Newcastle United. And, you know, I went to their games probably from about eight till about 11, 12 till I started playing. Um, properly on Saturday, then obviously missed games. But, you know, the team that I was brought up watching, like I just referred to, Chris Waddle, Peter Beardsley, Paul Gascoigne, you know, were unbelievable. I think, you know, I was just talking to a friend on Twitter the other day, and I don't know if you might have seen it, we're having a little bit of a back and forth conversation about them three players and what they'd be worth now. And in, in, in any one of them would walk into any Premier League team that is now. And I'm talking about Liverpool, I'm talking about Man City, you know, you know, the Peter Beardsley, one of the most underrated footballers of his generation. You know, he was, a, he was an eight and a half, nine out of ten every single week. Play anywhere, played in midfield for the Newcastle team in a, in a midfield four when they got promoted from the championship. You know, played off the striker, played as a striker, played at wide, you know, and, and for a talent, you know. And then, and then again, one of my most favourite players is Chris Waddle. You know, he was... You know, I don't know. You know, some people may have a bit of banter and say, "Oh, you got hair like Chris Waddle had in the eighties." <laughs> but, but, but it's you know, he was, he, he, you know, I loved watching him. I loved watching him and in, in that team. You know, as much as they weren't very hugely successful, but them three in general, you know, were were, were very, very, very good players and took a lot of inspiration from them. And coming through Middlesbrough, breaking into the team, what's it like when a legend and icon of the game, like Brian Robson, walks through the door? Yeah, it was. It was that that is that in itself was very surreal. You know, at the time, obviously, you know another, you know another England player. You know, you'd say would be in the. You know, if you had to name your top ten all-time English players, uh, Paul Gascoigne and Brian Robson would definitely be amongst them. So you know, without a shadow of doubt, icon at Manchester United. Another one as well. Originally a local Durham lad. You know, not a million miles away from Middlesbrough. He, you know, he's a, he's a he knew what the northeast was about, and he's such a you know. The other thing as well, he come in as player manager, which not many people remember when we got promoted the first time. I think I was a first year wide guest, sixteen, when we got promoted to the Premier League the first time, and we're still at Ayrton Park, and he was still playing. And what a player he was! Unbelievable! What an unbelievable player he was! Even it, he must have been forty one, forty two then. And he, he, he was still a top, top player, you know, as good as what I've played with. And I remember once playing in the reserves with him. And it must have, you know, you, you look and you, you look at the Manchester United stories about the demands and the, you know, and the philosophy and, and the culture. And, you know, Paul Lynch was very similar. Clayton Blackmore was very similar. But I remember playing the reserves once with Brian Robson. And uh, I, I was playing at centre-back at the time. Brian Robson was playing in centre midfield. And he's, he's coming showing for the ball and asked for it. And I haven't given the ball, and I've chosen a different option. And I come in at half time, and I was only 17, first year I get, and I got one of the biggest rollickings I'd ever got. You know, it was like, you give me the ball, and I ask for the ball. <laughs> I know when I'm available and when I'm not available. And it was just his experience, his aura, everything was just, you know, he was just a top, top player, and a really, really good guy as well. You mentioned the YTS situation. Yeah. 
it's obviously changed a lot now in football. Who's yes. were you involved in sort of cleaning the stadium, cleaning boots? Yeah, without a doubt. No, anyone. You know, I've been very, very fortunate. You know, I, I've I've played over a hundred games in the championship, played in the Premier League. You know, play, you know, done very well in management in the Champions League, so on and so forth. But my best two years in football, without a shadow of doubt, my two years YTS. I've never enjoyed myself so much. Don't get me wrong. You love playing in the first team. You love. I love playing the Premier League. I love playing the, in the Championship in front of all these people. But the, the two years of my YTS were, were the most enjoyable two years of my life, and you know the toughest. You know, at the time I, I lived at home at Gateshead, I had to get a bus at six o'clock in the morning to make sure I was in Middlesbrough for half eight. And then I stayed in Diggs when I was there as well. You know, and you were getting in at half eight. Doing all your jobs, making sure your kit was done for each. You had two or three players, making sure the boots were done, making sure the kit was all out for them ready, making sure the balls, bibs, cones, and all the equipment were ready, making sure the bus was clean, ready to travel on. And then after you come back in, sorry, after you go out there, you know, put the goals up, put the equipment out for the first team. Then afterwards, put them down, come back in, clean the boots, clean the dressing rooms, clean the stadium, paint the stadium, uh, everything, clean the bath. Everything it was, it was, you know, you know, and, and as tough as it was, it was a proper old school, you know, the tough school. Then I've never enjoyed myself. I felt so happy in me in my whole career as playing football as the two years I did in the white yes. Is that something you think sort of missing from the game now, especially for young players coming through? Look, you know, I, I would never name names or say anything, but I've seen things that shouldn't have happened. Do you know what I mean? You know, where it's 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 on the verge of bullying. And, you know, in, in this day and age, it's just, you know, there's probably things that people are getting real trouble for, you know, because the, the, there was, the line was a, a different line then, you know. But it was just a norm. It was just get on with it. Same as in training, you know, once a week, once every couple of weeks, there'd be fights between players. You know, there would be. You know, I've seen three or four occasions people actually being punched in, in receiving punches and punching people. You know, such is the environment that we were in. You know, 20, 30 men, all elite athletes, trying to become, getting the starting 11 and trying to be the best they can. At any level, that's including youth team, reserves, first team, you know, it's all the same because everyone is vying for that, that place and, and the opportunity to move further with your career. So, so it is, you know, the testosterone full dressing room, you can only get that. You know, and, and, and it's just the way it was, and football's changed a hell of a lot. And, but but it definitely, you know, I think it's changed for the good. But there is some things that I think younger players uh, do take for granted, and they get a little bit too serious. In terms of Middlesbrough, we mentioned Brian Robson, the promotions, playing yeah. um, for the club and making your debut. Another big character arrived in Paul Merson. What yeah. was Paul like when he arrived at the club? Yeah, top top player as well. You know, you know, I I think I still think Paul. You know, you, you talk about it, and obviously uh, Brian Robson was in his forties, and and Paul Gascoigne had, had gone past his best. But I do think I've probably seen as good in his career as as Merce as what what he was. Don't get me wrong, at Arsenal he was very very good. But when he came to Middlesbrough, he 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 was well documented. He had drug and drink problems. You know, he, he was he was clean. He was sober. You know, for probably. 18 months of that, he was unbelievable. What a fantastic footballer. Probably one of the most underrated players I've played with. You talk about the Ravinellis, the Janinos, the Emersons, the Gascoins, the Ince, 
you know, the so on and so forth. But Paul Merson was probably, you know, as good of a player all around as what, what I've played with. He was, he was unbelievable. He was, you know, he was fantastic. He was a top, top player. What was he like as a character? Because obviously we see him on Sky and he's very chirpy. Yeah, he was. He, he was. He was a great character. You know, at the time at the dressing room, you know, you had the likes of Gaza. You know, he'd come a bit later on, but you had Paul Merson, you had Andy Townsend. You know, you had Nigel Pearson, who was a, who was a big influence. You had Craig Hignett, who was a big character. In the early days, you had John Henry, who was a big character as well. You know, um, Derek White, who was a big character. So you had lots of big characters in, in the dressing room. And, and it, was a, it was a really good dressing room as well as, you know, some fantastic players. You know, but but the dressing was really important, and, and, and Merce was was a big part of that. You know, he he, he liked it. He liked the prank. He liked the joke. He liked the mess on. He, you know, you know. And at one point, I I, I think there was Paul Merce and Paul Gascoigne and Andy Townsend all living together, which you know was was a recipe for disaster. You know, I think Andy got over quite quickly. You know, and and, and there was um Paul and Paul and Paul together, which was um which at times could have been quite dangerous. What was it like playing in the championship? Obviously, you won promotion and you also got to a League Cup final. Now, you were obviously, you had the unfortunate task of you didn't get to start the League Cup final, but you yeah. started a few games previous. What yeah. was that like? You know, that that was tough. You know, being, being a young lad, you probably brush it off because you, you just think at that time, you know, I certainly didn't think my career was going to go the way it was, as in have to retire at 26 through injury. You know, so... You know, it was the, I just thought because also as well at the time I think Middlesbrough had been in three cup finals in two or three years at that period, and you, you just think as a young player that like, this is this is the norm. This is not going to stop, you know. And and I think I played a part in every round leading up to it. I think I started three of the previous four games. I think the only game I didn't start was one of them against Liverpool in the semi final. But played a part in it, but I played three, making me debut in the first round against Barnet that year, away from home. And I played in all the rounds leading up to it. And then to be left out completely was um, was heart wrenching at the time. I, I think because I was younger, I was probably a bit more robust and full of myself. And well, oh well, I'll, I'll get another opportunity, no problem, and, and and you know, and so on and so forth. But but obviously, I didn't. And you know, I think looking back, reflecting. It's probably a harder one to take as you get older than what it was at the time because I just thought, well, you know, I'll get on with it again. I was 19 and, you know, and, and I didn't get in and, and that was it. And, you know, the, the manager at the time went for experience a bit more than youth and, and played his possibly strongest team at the time in the cup final, which, you know, after becoming the manager myself, I know how tough it is. In terms of the championship, was it a very physical league? It, it was very demanding. You know, it was lots of games. Um, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, a lot of travelling. You know, there was a lot of tough teams in that. I, remember, I always remember going to, I think it was Berry with Stan Turnant was the manager. And you had the players like um, Peter Swan, Johnny, uh, Lenny John Rose. Um, you had Ronnie Jefferson, uh, Chris Lachetti. You know, they were a very, very physical team playing the gig lane in the winter. It was a really tough, a really tough game. You know, the pitch was really heavy. And I think we might have drew nil-nil or even won one-nil in that game. You know, and that was, you go from there, then you, at the time, obviously, the Riverside was full every week. So you go through gig lane, which I think there was about eight or 10,000 there. And it was a real physical game 
and, and then you come back at home to, to the Riverside against somebody in the league like Nottingham Forest or Sunderland at the time, you know, and it was full with 36, 37,000. So it was a real diverse league and a real, you know, uh, it was physical, uh, but, but physically demanding as much as physical. And I still believe now it's one of the, that along with the National League is one of the toughest leagues to, to get out of. When you get to the Premier League, how does the Premier League differ to the Championship? Is it faster? Is it slower? No, it, you know, it was very, very surreal because you look at it and it was uh, it was a little bit slower. It wasn't as hectic. You know, and the, the best way I'd describe it was uh, when you had the ball, it was easier. But when you didn't have the ball, it was tougher because you had more intelligent players, players making more intelligent runs, um, in, in which the Championship obviously is still a very good standard. But it was a lot more straight runs, straight up and down, you know. But once you got in the Premier League, you're playing against top players, you know. You know, some of the best players I play against, you know, Dennis Bergkamp, Harry Kuehl, you know, David Ginola, you know, um, Georgie Kincladzi, all players that were so intelligent, so clever. The movement was, you know, so that's probably the way I'd describe it because obviously when we went, when we got the Premier League with Millsborough, we, we improved our team as well. Likes of Paul Ince come in and so on and so forth. So we had Premier League players. So yeah, when you have the ball, you have more options. But when you don't have the ball, your awareness in in it, it, it's as a defender is so tough to try and try and um, mark players like that who were who were just on another level. The movement, the intelligence was just you know, and obviously the delivery from the other players to make that pass as well. You mentioned the governor, Paul Lins, being a young yeah. player at Middlesbrough when he comes in. What was that like for you? Yeah, another one as well. You know, what what a fantastic guy. You know, he's got this he's got this sort of reputation about him. And, you know, and I can imagine, and, and, and you know, you, you see it yourself, we're all only human. You know, I think, you know, very funny, you know, um, as a Newcastle supporter, Paul Lynch would have played for West Ham and Manchester United when my dad used to go and watch Newcastle play. And my dad used to, one of the players that used to get under his skin was Paul Lynch, you know, because he's such a fantastic player and such a fantastic competitor. And it hadn't been it hadn't been long after Paul had come. And we went to a game, and at the time I was recovering from an injury, and we went to the players' lounge, and I'd been injured for quite a while. You know, it's not really well documented. When I was 17, 18, I had a burst appendix. And I had peritonitis, and I was missed about seven, eight months with that. And I was very, very fortunate not to be seriously hurt or, you know, touch would die with it. It was a real serious problem at the time. Um, that was before, I, about 18 months before I left Middlesbrough. You know, and I was recovering from that, so I'd been out for that. And it was the first time I'd gone back and watched a game. And we'd gone into the players' lounge, and the, the first person up to us, I was with my dad at the time, so I still couldn't drive, my dad was driving. And the first person up was Paul Lynch. Craig, how are you doing? You know, nice to meet you, Mr. Harrison. And, you know, and he's just like, he's such a good guy. And I, and I just remember, because my dad used to always say, you know, he's such a competitor. He gets under everyone's skin. And I was, I, I was having to bite my tongue until Paul had moved away. Then I said to my dad, I had a bit of a grin on my face and smirking. I said, I told you. And my dad was, my dad was, he, he, he was good at that. He was such a nice fella. But on the other hand, obviously, really pleased, you know. So, you know, again, people perceive in football as what they see in the 90 minutes on TV or, or, or a 90 minutes watching it live is, is far from, far from what you, what you actually, what they are in, in real life. You know, they're really nice guys. 
I, you were young at Middlesbrough. You came through. You had successes, as you mentioned, promotion, yeah. Premier League. You went on loan to Preston under David yeah. Moyes. What was yeah. that like? Yeah, it was brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. It was in League Two, you know, and it was a, it was a real eye opener. I'd come through at Middlesbrough at an unbelievable time, um, when to be honest, we're probably spoilt, you know, um, moving from uh, moving from Essen Park to the Riverside, moving from we used to train at a college at Tolsby Road, moving from there to the Herworth Training Ground, which was a, a state yard and still is one of the best training grounds in the country. You know, and as a young player, playing with these players and having the manager and the club and the profile around, you know, was really, really probably spoiled for for, for the actual facilities. So going to Preston was a bit of an eye opener. You know, it was um, wash your own kit. Uh, it was uh, look after yourself. You know, make sure you know lads were car sharing. Um, everyone was a bit more together. You know, the training ground was just a field at the time. You know, and but but. Um, obviously still a huge club when you go to the stadium and you see the, the legends that have played for us through football and you know the mosaics on the stadium and stuff and the stadium seats and, and, and just a, a real historic football club you know and, and, and working with David Moyes it was was, um, was fantastic it was it was really it was really eye opening because obviously he worked with a smaller squad he worked with some lower league players but the togetherness in the regimented of the training, you know, used to work with a back four on a daily basis afterwards. You know, the, the work ethic that David Moyes had was, was fantastic. There was no surprise when he went on Everton that he'd done so well. And, you know, and unfortunately, I just don't think he was given the time in Manchester United, you know, where you look at them now and I think, you know, if that had stuck with David, then they probably wouldn't have been any better off or worse off than what they are now. But they would have had continuity and they would have had a bit more stability. In terms of Preston, it was a good loan spell for yourself. Yeah. Were you tempted to stay there, or was it always just a case I get back to Middlesbrough? Well, it, uh, at the time I got called back to play, I played um, my last Premier League game after coming back against Blackburn Rovers away. Uh, I think there'd been an injury, and the injury was, um, I think it, was, it wasn't as long as what we thought it would be, and I, and I come back, I, I cut the loan short to come back and play at Ewood Park in the Premier League against Blackburn Rovers. And, and unfortunately, I, I was in the squad after that. And I don't think, if it was a long, long time ago, I don't think I played another Premier League game after that. You know, and I think that was probably where I just thought, I think I was 20 at the time. And I just thought, I can't keep playing reserve team football. Not getting too big for my boots, not being uh, big time at all. But I played a big part in the Championship promotion. Uh, I played a handful of games in the Premier League. I'd been out and played again for Preston, played a handful of games for them, really enjoyed it. You know, a club trying to get promoted. And there was I think after that and coming back and not being a regular was a was the there was the moment when it probably dawned on me that, you know, I probably at this moment in time I'm not going to be a regular in my left back position. Obviously Middlesbrough just signed Christian Ziga at the time, I think from Bayern Munich. Sorry, from AC Milan. So, so you know, <laughs> I knew I knew it was going to be limited, but you know, they also had Dean Gordon, and then also um, Keith O'Neill could play at left back, even though he's a left midfielder. So at the time, I was only nineteen twenty, and and to be fair to 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 
to the manager, Brian Robson. I, I just literally, probably six months earlier, I signed a new five-year contract. Um, but I was wanted to be a footballer that played. I didn't want to be a footballer that, even though I was 19, 20, that sat on the bench and, you know, and, and, and watched games. And I didn't want to train every day leading up to the weekend and then, and then not having something to play for. I didn't want to go back to reserve team football, even though it was a lot different then. It was a lot more competitive. But, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to play first team football and, and make sure I, I was working hard during the week to, for outcome at the weekend. So that was the situation. I went in and spoke to the manager and, you know, and he didn't want me to go. He guaranteed me I'd be in the squad. You know, I'd be second or third choice in there, you know, if there was injuries. But it just at the time, I just, you know, I'd also had the illness, which probably took nine or ten months off my career. And it was, I was just saying, no, I don't really want to stay to be second fiddle, even though probably looking back, it was maybe a mistake because within a, a year or 18 months of, of me leaving Middlesbrough, Christian Ziga, Dean Gordon and Keith O'Neill all left. So it was, you know, it was one of them, but hey, how it is, how it is, and, and that's how it works. And, and you know, and that's fate sometimes. From Middlesbrough to Crystal Palace, what was Palace like as a football club? Yeah, it was, it, it was great. You know, it was, you know, every every footballer you speak to who's come, who come through the system and have played for a club, have been there since I was 15, 16, they'll tell you the same. You know, you, uh, the club doesn't do it on purpose. I think it's a, it's a, a subconscious thing, but you're always going to be one of the young players that come through the system. So... I moved to Crystal Palace and I think the fee in the end was close to £500,000. Um, and I moved uh, the other end of the country and I moved to a championship club and I felt like a proper footballer, if you know what I mean. I'd been, I'd been bought by someone who wanted me. Well, originally I went there on loan and after the first month on loan, they, they, they wanted to buy me and I was right, OK, I, I, a team wants me, so I want to move. And I want to be somewhere where someone wants you, you know, not come through the system and done well, even though supporters appreciate you because they always do young players come through the system. But it was just, I really felt wanted and really felt like I was a proper footballer being bought for a big fee and in, in then, you know, being, being a first choice player and being a first established, even though I was only 21, an established first team player. In terms of Palace, you've worked under some great managers in your career. Um, Steve Bruce, what was he like? Yeah, Steve Bruce, you know, you know, just going back to when I first went to Palace, you know, I had big shoes to fill because previous to that, I don't know if you know, I don't, you know, you have a little bit of a guess now, a little bit of interaction. Do you know who was the left-back before I went in at Crystal Palace? Well, I'm not sure, actually, no. Ashley Cole. He was on loan from Arsenal. <laughs> Probably the best left back England's ever had. So, you know, wow. had there. So, you know, it was, um, yeah, Ashley, it was a young Ashley Cole was there on loan from Arsenal. So, you know, it was, um, it was, it was big shoes to fill, even at a young age. And I think Ashley Cole would have been 18, 19, he'd been two, three years younger than me, maybe a little bit, a little bit younger. So, you know, it was, yeah, it was, um, and, and also as well, they've had another fantastic left back, which Kenny Sansom, who actually played Newcastle as well, who was another one of England's great left backs. So Absolutely. it was certainly it was certainly a position that they'd seen very very good players in. In, in terms, of, 
Go on. Sorry. No, go on. Just um, as you say, in terms of going there with those shoes to fill, mm. how did you just back yourself right away when you went in? I did, but, you know, really, I, I was coming off the back of having um, my burst appendix and probably, I probably should have stayed at Millsborough for another six to nine months, even a season, and got my fitness and got my um, strength and got games under my belt. You know, I had I, I spent a short time out in Sweden with a team called Elfsborg on loan to try and get some fitness. That was when the season had finished. It, it was, it was um, off-season, but it was on-season for the Swedish team. So I went out there and I spent a month out there with them, um, uh, with training and playing a few games, and then come back and then that's when the season started, and that's when Christian Ziga come in and I was like, I, I need to go out at least on loan to go and play some games, and then obviously being there in a short space of time, then Palace decided to buy me. Well, within probably three or four months, I really struggled, uh, fitness-wise, struggled, strength-wise, playing going from playing not a lot of football for nine, ten months to playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday. You know, and I, I certainly certainly didn't hit my best form of probably the second half of the year and even the second season, which was a bit of a struggle because um, Crystal Palace, had, 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 by that time, they had a new owner, which was Simon Jordan, and they brought some decent players in, some young players from the Premier League, myself, um, Julian Gray, Tommy Black, um, um, Stu Taylor, goalkeeper, all three from Arsenal. Uh, Jamie Pollock had come in from Man City. Uh, Neil Ruddock had come in from West Ham. So there was there, there was um, there, there was a bit of pressure, you know, and there was a bit of bit of money being spent in, in on on trying to trying to get Palace out of the out of the Championship. But at the time, we had a real poor start. I don't think I, I don't think we won a game in the first 10, 11 games. You know, might have been longer than that, and you know, and there was real, you know, it was real pressure on. When in the end, we only managed to stay up through the last day of the season against Stockport County away at Stockport, which which was um, it was a tough season. You know, it was it really was a tough season. I really really enjoyed it being a first team player and and, and being part of a first team squad properly, but it was um, it was a really tough season physically and mentally for myself because. You know, expectations, uh, a reasonably big fee for a young player coming from a Premier League team. And I, and I, I wasn't never really fit. I was never really fit at all. You know, I, I struggled desperately, to be honest, fitness-wise and, and physically for the first probably four or five months because I hadn't played a lot of football recently. You mentioned Simon Jordan there taking over yeah. the club. He's a massive character. We see him yeah. on Talk Sport quite a lot. He's... He's not shy of giving his opinions. Um, what was your dealings like with Simon Jordan? Yeah, to be honest, Simon was fantastic with me. You know, I can't speak highly enough of him. You know, didn't have an awful lot of dealings with him as a, as a chairman when I was actually playing. You know, there was a few times which is well documented. You know, about um, coming into dressing rooms and so on and so forth. You know, but but the biggest dealings I had with Simon was when I come when I actually had to retire from playing football. You know, I still had. Um, I think there was over a year left on my contract, you know, and Simon was fantastic with me. You know, he, he gave me the option, you know, he supported me. Uh, we went for a second opinion, which the club um, fully supported, which which really was probably the end of my career, which I had to have another operation after that, another procedure. And after that, recovering from that, nine months later, Simon said to me, you know, 
Um, the day that I was told that I would never play professional football again, I spoke to Simon, um, him and Trevor Francis was a manager at the time, we sat in Simon's office, or Trevor's office, and had a conversation about it. Obviously, he was very upset from my behalf, but, you know, fully supportive. I can't speak highly enough. Give me the option. He said, Craig, look, you know, you've got uh, you've got months left on your contract. I think I had nine, ten months left on my contract. Stay here, train, do your rehab. You know, you'll be one of the squad. You know, the manager will treat you like one of the squad. The players that you've worked with for the last three years will treat you like one of the squad. You know, and certainly from a club's point of view, you won't be ostracised. You'll be looked after. Uh, or if you want to leave now and go back to your native northeast, then that that's fine. Go back there. We'll make sure you know the contract's all sorted and you're looked after. You mentioned the injury there. What was it like? Because it was a major injury you suffered. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was you know it you know there's a there's a few things tie into it. You know, strangely enough, the the last which which is quite you know quite weird really. The last actual first team game I was involved with Crystal Palace was, I was on the bench in the FA Cup game against Newcastle United which is a bit, you know, you're talking about a full circle coming right round you know, and I, I was just recovering from a, a dislocated shoulder so we played a reserve game against Redden midweek and I didn't have to play I volunteered myself to play because I wanted to get fit and get back in the team you know, Steve Bruce was the manager, sorry, you know, Trevor Francis was the manager at the time no, actually, I think Steve was manager at the time, um, and I and I, I really liked Steve Bruce, and I wanted to get in his team, or back in his team and play for him. So I was volunteered myself on the Tuesday, so we went up to Newcastle, uh, got beaten in the FA Cup, uh, come back on the same day. A few of the lads stayed up there for a night out, which you know we had done quite a bit. We went to Newcastle, we had a night out. I took, I took the London lads to Newcastle and showed them a good time, and the Palace lads, and we, we had a really good time over the two or three years I was there, travelling back and forth. And uh, I declined on that time. I, I travelled back to London, uh, prepared, ready for a reserve game on the Tuesday. I played in the reserve game, uh, and that was the last game I played. You know, I can't really remember who it was, who went in for the tackle with myself, but I, and I, I'm not really fussed about it. You know, I don't blame him anyway, short and forth, because the way the story went and the way it went was he, um, we we had a really young team at the time, a young reserve team, and you know, because most of the lads have been involved on the Saturday in the FA Cup, you know, but obviously with myself volunteering myself to go into the to play, um, and they had a, they had a, another must have been another young lad I don't know who was going about putting himself about and because I was a senior player I was like right I'm not having that so I went and put myself about and for want of a better phrase went and smashed him in a tackle he smashed me and then the next one it fell between the two were and it was probably a hundredth of a second between myself and himself so you know for, unfortunately it was me uh, the tackle was a late horrible one on both accounts you know I'd openly admitted it that I'd probably went in to hurt him and he went in to hurt me. And unfortunately, looking back now, with time being a great healer, then I can reflect on it and, and, and say it just was what it was. It could have quite easily been him. It could have quite easily been me. You know, and I remember having the tackle and thinking my shin pad had broke, but it was actually me uh, fib and tip. And I remember sitting on the floor, putting my hands up and lifting my leg in the air and my ankle just flopping 90 degrees the other way and then blood quite a lot of blood starting to come out uh, seep through the sock 
and through the, the, the shin pad um, wrapping and stuff like that. So I knew straight away I'd done something really serious. Uh, I knew straight away by the other players' reactions <laughs> that I'd done something quite serious, which isn't fantastic when you're sitting there th- in, your, in your ankle and your legs swaying in the wind and you've got the players going, oh, look at that. Oh. You know, unfortunately, I had a very good physio. You know, she was on straight away. Um, she stabilised me straight away, got a splint in it, phoned an ambulance. The ambulance came, which was quite quite comical, really, because I've got myself in the ambulance and it was shock must have took over because I don't remember the pain of it happening. I don't remember any pain. It must have been adrenaline, must have been your body, body's way of, you know, protecting itself. Uh, and I don't remember the pain at all at the time. And it's the ambulance driver was there was a lot of blood at the time. The ambulance driver was like, "Are you sure there's not? It's not just a gash. It's not a compound fracture because obviously he's quite calm." Ambulance driver unwrapped it quickly, seen it quickly, wrapped it. You know, blue lights on straight to hospital. You know, and, and it was um and, and from there, you know, I was fortunate to have the operation that night. You know, where probably about. Three or four hours after it actually happening, I remember sitting in the hospital bed, thinking, "Wow, this hurts." <laughs> you know, it took. It probably was a delay of that. It was probably adrenaline still rushing through my body and buzzing, and it was like the pain was unbelievably horrendous. And that was after having morphine and other painkillers and stuff, so on and so forth. So, so yeah, it was. Um, it was quite. It was quite surreal, really, remembering all of that not feeling any of it until then. I remember it now as if it was tomorrow. It was if sorry tomorrow, as if it was yesterday. You know, I really do I recall it quite clearly, which is which isn't very nice. But but yeah, and that was that was the start of a of unfortunately a, a long journey of um lots of lonely training sessions, lots of hours by myself, lots of thinking time, lots of gym hours, lots of rehab hours. I think eighteen months all in all. And then to come to the end of it, it was um, it was more, and it sounds really, really weird, but obviously I was hugely devastated when I sat down with the surgeon. The process was, I had the operation, um, it didn't quite go to plan. Uh, six, seven months later, I had to have a, another operation, the same one again with a bone graft and more screws in the bigger um, rod put in my leg for support and and so basically I probably I probably knew from the from the moment I needed the second operation I always knew it was going to be a real real tough journey back I'd I'd got to the point where I was jogging but there was a unbelievable burning sensation on my shin after I probably got a 12 minutes jogging and it was it was you know and I, I'd like to think I'm I'm quite a hardy person I've got quite a high pain threshold, I've had some injuries and I've had some unfortunate things happen, you know, in this, the, the pain I knew it wasn't right. So that's when we went back for a second opinion. And, and what had happened was your, your smaller bone, you got a fibula tibia and the smaller bone, it healed before the bigger bone. So theoretically, I was still running on a broken leg. The, the, the smaller non-weight-bearing bone and the, the rod that was put in was taking me weight. So that was where the that was where the pain and the the burning sensation was coming from. So went back, and then I possibly knew. I think I knew deep down that 
it's going to be a real struggle. This a real struggle because um, I had another nine months of rehab after that, and um, I still wasn't getting to where I wanted to get to. I got back to jogging. I got back to non-contact gym work, but the the real the real problem was the um, the mobility in the left ankle because of what happened with with the with it being a compound fracture, the bone coming through the skin. It's severed the tendon that runs from your big toe to your knee, which which gives you more uh, ankle mobility. And my ankle mobility on my left foot, which was the one that had actually broke, was probably 40 to 45% down, and I was never going to get that back. You know, the broken leg was always going to heal. You know, uh, you know the it was all the soft tissue damage that went along with it that, that I just was never going to get an opportunity or the or the um, chance to play professional football at that level again, you know, which was a which was a which is a tough conversation with the surgeon, you know. But like I was referring to five minutes ago, it was almost a bit of relief as well. It was a really really weird and surreal conversation because don't get me wrong, you know, it was devastating at the time. It actually wasn't devastating. It was more relief, you know, that I wasn't going to be going through this whole thing again. I had a concrete decision and I had a concrete path to follow instead of having 18, 19 months of uncertainty. Will I want that? Good days, bad days, you know, really dark days where you don't want to get out of bed, you know, and to the point of, you know, real, you know, not that it ever happened, but contemplating the worst things you could possibly do. You know, it got that dark at stages that that, that was... That, that was how I felt, you know, and almost the 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 relief of right, that's me not playing football at professional level again was almost being put like almost being put in my misery. But but that didn't last long because two, three months after that it was it was the end of my world. You mentioned the fact that it's the end of your world, your career ends even though you don't necessarily want it to end, the injuries have, have caused it to end. You mentioned having relief at first because you know you don't need to go through the rehab, etc. Again, yeah. But see, once it is over, as you've said, after a month or so, mm. mentally, does it become really, really tough? Yeah, it, it was. It was probably the well, not probably one hundred percent, definitely. The I went through a, probably a period of six months to twelve months of I would definitely say looking back now and looking how mental health issues are are. Are well documented now to deep depression without shadow of a doubt. You know, locking myself away. You know, broke up from a long relationship with a partner and pushing people out of my life. My mum, my dad, even to the point of you know, and it's it's something that I look back on. And now I'm very very fortunate. You know, I've got a fantastic partner. I've got a little girl that I, that I adore, and I'm back involved with football. But you know, even to the point of there was one Christmas going through that that I can remember not wanting to see anybody, staying at home, locking my doors. Three, four weeks had gone by in over the Christmas period, did not, wouldn't answer the phone, didn't speak to anybody, wouldn't go to the shop, would have what I had in the house, um, beans and toast on Christmas Day. And it was just that, it was that dark. It was that dark of a place. And that was probably the, the Christmas after I'd done it. I'd done it, I think I retired in the middle of the season. And like I said, three or four months later, you probably 
you're a bit, oh, well, I'm retired, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other, I can get on with life, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, bang, it just hits you that this is, you know, something that 99.9% of boys and girls across the country from eight, nine, ten-year-olds dream about doing has been taken away and I'm not going to do it again. Obviously, you're talking about mental health there. I've been yeah. through my own mental health journey and it's a, it's a really tough battle and football comes secondary to your health, of course. But yeah. you, see, when you were going through that spell, did you fall out of love with football? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. I, I did not go. I didn't go and watch a game of football for, for nearly two years. I watched a game of football on TV. I didn't. I had nothing to do with football. Nothing. I, you know, I, I, I socialised as in... Um, went out quite a bit drinking, you know. Um, fortunately, never got wrapped up in anything else rather than drinking with friends and to try and block it out. And binge drinking, days, weeks on end, not coming home, um, staying in a hotel, buying new clothes and getting changed and going back out again, not going back home. I didn't want to face that being alone and met in the house again. All them things like that were, were, were something that I went through, and it was, like I say, it was absolutely horrific. But I was very, very fortunate that I'd got very good friends and family, you know, my mum, my dad, my sister, um, my close friends, and, and then, you know, and then meeting um, my current partner, and things sort of got better from then, really. It was a it was a, I remember it was England game against Finland at Old Trafford. It was the first game I went to watch live after after um, having my injury. And it was with my father-in-law. And, and I didn't want to go. He wanted to go. He wanted to go. And I got tickets through my friends. Um, and uh, we went to the game. And I think after that, gradually, I sort of got over myself a little bit and, and, and got back involved with football. But it, it was a good, yeah, if not 18 months that, that I had. I couldn't watch football. I didn't want to um, socialise with any of my football teammates, friends, or anything like that. It was a, you know, it was something that, that I couldn't, I couldn't have wanted anything more than not to be involved with football. In terms of the situation you talked about there, very honestly and openly, and thank you for that. I've been very honest that when I battled mental health last year, it was the toughest battle I've ever faced. Would you say your mental health battle was the toughest you've ever faced? Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. I think it's 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 so hard. You know, it's you know, it I don't you don't want to be, you know, overly dramatic about it, but I think looking back now, it was a form of a grieving process. You know, yes, no one had died, fortunately. So, you know, people may think, oh, well, grieving, come on, Craig, that's a bit dramatic. You'd, you know, you'd lost your career. Yes, I'd lost my career, but I'd lost, like, my identity, my life, my everything I'd worked for, for God knows how long. And it was my life, you, you know. And, and, and I think the grieving process never re It was almost delayed grieving, you know, and it took me a long, long time to, to get over that. I'd still think probably up until about three, four years ago, I don't think I'd properly got over it. You know, I, ne I never went to see anybody. I never had any counselling. Um, and, you know, back then it, was, it wasn't it was nowhere near as high profile as what it is now. You know, and it's something that that now is fantastic. There's, there's, there's lots and lots of avenues uh, for everybody, not just footballers, but everybody to, to go and seek help with. And, you know, one thing that I would say 
was I, I'd recommend it strongly because I'd probably lived with it for the best part of 15 years before I actually went out to get professional help. In every now and then, I'd dip into professional help and I'd dip out with it, depending on how I feel. You know, and, it, and, it, and, I, and I think it's one of them things that I would certainly, certainly recommend people people doing because the worst thing you can do you know i've probably lived with it for a good 10 15 years without with thinking yes you know once i got back involved with football i thought everything was fine but then all it takes is you know something else to blow up in your life or 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 a a, a, a down in, in we're all known football there's a lot more downs and ups through your career as a player coach manager whatever you may be you know supporter you know, it's, it's, there's a lot more downs and ups, you know, and, and so, you know, it's something that I regularly take time out and try to make sure I look after myself and, you know, and it's something that I'm a big advocate of and, and, and if anyone needs any help, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm quite happy to speak to anybody and, and put myself out there because, you know, fortunately I've been through it myself. I think one of the worst things I've ever heard and one of the things that used to really wind me up is that yeah I know how you're feeling no you don't no you don't unless you've been through it yes you do but if you don't if you haven't you don't absolutely it's people trying to help and I had a lot you know if I had a pound for every person that said I know how you feel I'd be a very rich man but (laughs) the the facts are unless you've been through that yourself you don't and yes it's people trying to be nice but unless you've been through it yourself, then you know you you, you don't know and you, you you don't understand the severity in in the the dark places it can take you. No, I totally agree in terms of that. As I said, as I said to you, I, mental health is something I was always passionate about in terms of the the stories I'd heard. And as you say, it's one of those things where I was probably one of those people who would say to people, "I know how you feel," blah blah blah. Whereas until I went through it last year for that spell of around, I would say, three months where yeah. you described it, you, you shut everybody out. I remember just lying in bed for weeks on end. And it, clo- just, it was like constantly curtains closed. You mentioned things like football. Yeah. Football, for me, I was never lucky enough to be a player like you, but football was my, has always been my life in terms of playing it when I was younger, watching football, just reading about football and for that spell of those months, as you mentioned, I couldn't care less about football. It just yeah. again would come on the telly. I would I would turn it off, and that for mm. me was just summed it up. As you say, all the things you were passionate about, I found that as well. My friends, my family, girlfriend, football. I just shut yeah. everything out, and it's a scary time. Yeah, now it is without a shadow of doubt. It is, and you know, and you know, and I, I just I'm so pleased now that there is lots and lots and lots of help out there for everybody. And they, like I said, you know, I, you know, it's something that no one should be ashamed of, of, of speaking about and ashamed of seeking professional help about because, you know, I think ultimately it's probably the only way that then demons are going to be, you know, confronted. Absolutely, no, I totally agree, and 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 I would echo that in my experience as well. And in terms of yourself, Craig, you, you mentioned the fact that life after playing football was tough. But then you get back into the coaching. Was that yeah. something that was always an ambition? No, not at all. No, never, never was. Never come into my mind. Never, not one bit. You know, like I said, it, um, I'd, I'd, I'd met my current partner Danielle, and we were quite happy. Uh, we had a lovely life. We, um, we were renovating houses. I hadn't moved to Chester, which was her hometown. Um, she moved back from London, which she lived in. Um, we 
bought and renovated houses together. Uh, we really enjoyed it, and then it was a, it was a, it was a dad who who sort of not pushed us, but one of his friends helped run a, a just a local team in the in the West Cheshire League in 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 um, Chester uh, amateur league that only trained once a week. Played on a played on a Saturday. The lads played paid subs. Uh, went for a beer afterwards. Just enjoyed it. Completely social. Uh, and and uh, Daniel's dad Les, who was a footballer himself. Um, played for uh, Chester, Blackpool, so on. Um, he said, uh, introduced me to a guy called John Cadwallader, who was manager of a team called Upton A in the West Cheshire League. And, and uh, got friends with John, and John just said, oh, come in, Craig, a couple of times, and come and train the lads, and the lads would love to you know, have a bit of banter with you and just talk to you about football. And, and it was that, really, and, and I sort of got slowly sucked back in Completely through enjoyment. By this time, I hadn't done any coaching badges. Didn't see a future, you know, as a coach. Didn't see a future as a manager. It was just purely fun, and I and I actually really enjoyed it again. You know, socialising with the lads. You know, that camaraderie, the banter. You know, a few beers after the game. You know, the lads listening and wanting to know what I had to say, taking training, helping people out, people asking you questions, and probably just that feeling of of. of being wanted again and in, in, in being in, in players wanting to, to suck a bit of knowledge out of you. You know, so I'd done that for about, I think it was about a season. And then um, it was my 30th birthday. My uh, Danielle, my partner, had arranged a surprise party at home. And um, she was trying to get someone to play some live music. And she couldn't get anyone. And she spoke to John's son, Mark, who I'm friends with. And they'd organ- they knew some people. One of them um, called um, Gareth Owen. And Gareth was in a band. And they'd come to play in my birthday party. And I got chatting to Gareth after a few drinks. And obviously, Gareth, you know, I'd play- I'd, unbeknownstly, I played against Gareth playing for Preston when he played for Wrexham. And then... Um, Gareth is a top, top player. Played for Wrexham, fantastic, Wrexham legend, you know. And he was manager of Airbus in the Welsh Premier League and he just lost his assistant manager. So a drunken conversation. <laughs> he said, do you fancy coming along? Do you fancy helping out? I've, got, I've not got an assistant. You know, come along, see how it goes. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And that sort of passed by, a month or two passed by. I was like, by the time the next day come up, I'd sort of had a Still didn't want anything to do with football at that level. Um, and then a month or two later, got a text again from Gareth. Um, Craig, do you want to meet up for a coffee, a chat, so on and so forth? You know, and by that time, I'd sort of really thought about it and was sat down, had a coffee, um, offered me the job. Um, and from then on, you know, it was, you know, I was assistant manager with Gareth, who was still player manager of a team in the Welsh Premier League. No coaching badges, no experience, no nothing of coaching, you know, apart from fun. Um, I'd worked a little bit in the Middlesbrough Academy when I'd, when I'd retired playing, which was fantastic. They'd let me come in and do a bit of work with them, being an ex-player and moving back up north. Um, but had no experience. And then, then from, from then on, you know, I worked with Gareth. Um, he was player manager. Um, we had a great relationship. Worked with him for... I think it was a good six months. Then Gareth moved clubs to Rill to be co- to go back to playing. 
and then Airbus fortunately gave me the job and I was the manager there for two and a half years and then got the job, full-time job at, at TNS, back involved with full-time football. You mentioned TNS and in terms of that, what a spell when you look back. Six league titles, four Welsh Cups, three league Cups. You broke the world record for most wins in a row at the time, yeah. beating Ajax. Yeah. Describe that spell for me because you're one of the most successful managers in Welsh football history. Yeah, you know, I think at the time, you know, by, by this time, I'd really got the bug back. I'd started it back on the on the um, coaching uh, pathway with the FAW, who are fantastic. You know, they've got some they've got some fantastic coach educators, and at the time. Um, when I did become the manager, I had um, Andrew Thomas, who was my assistant, who uh, him and his wife are godparents to my little girl, all through meeting at Airbus all them years ago. And then um, Carl Dalton, who me and Carl are still good friends now, who Carl went to TNS and I followed him to TNS as a manager. Um, so I started really, really getting involved with it then, you know, taking it really seriously, wanting then probably thinking this could be a pathway that. I'd like to get back involved with, you know, that that, that burning desire coming back and, and almost having a point to prove that, right, well, I finished my career, I had the injury, you know, finished my career at 26, had to retire at 26, probably not even in my peak. And then getting this opportunity to get back involved with Airbus and then with TNS was my driving force now to use all that, anger, frustration, to push myself and, and, and have as much success from a coaching stroke managerial point of view. And, and that, that's what drove us. From the moment I started being the manager of um, Airbus again, then right the way through still now, that's what drives me every day to success is that uh, for whatever reason, um, fate dealt me a cruel hand and I should probably been probably retiring four or five years ago. But very, very fortunate. I've had 12 years of, you know, very successful coaching, managing experience, and I'm still only 42. So, you know, this is, this is the time when players are just getting into their managerial career. Now, I've had 12 years of experience in some fantastic times, some fantastic Champions League um, wins, Champions League experience, Europa League, Europa win experience, winning trophies, in, in the Welsh system, across in the National League with, with, with Hartlepool as well. So, you know, it's something that pushes me on every single day. That's what drives me from the moment I took over as Airbus Manchester. Still now, I had a very successful Welsh club, full circle, back at Connors Quay, with, um, with, with Andy and Jay as, part, as the manager and assistant coach as well. That drives me on to, to be as successful as I can in everything I do. Absolutely, and you mentioned the, the TNS. I mean, how do you reflect back in that now? Because as I say, one of the most successful managers in Welsh football history. Yeah, I, I reflect back more now, probably with enjoyment, is what I, I did at the time. Because I was completely engrossed and obsessed with winning and being better, um, I don't think I enjoyed the winning as much as what I should have. Probably apart from the first title I won, uh, which was on the last day of the season against Bangor at home, where we won 5 0. Um, and then there was another 12 or 13, 14 trophies after that that I won that I could probably didn't enjoy as much as what I should have. I should have probably enjoyed them more. But my obsession was 
to become better. And yes, brilliant, won. Enjoyed the night. The following day, the moment I got up, I was planning for the next trophy. I was planning for the next day. I was planning to be how my team could be better. I was planning to how I could grow the club better. I was planning to see how I could make players better. I was planning to see where I could take my career because I obviously fell short through no point in my own with an injury, how I can go and be the best manager or coach I can be. And, and, and with that obsession, probably, I wouldn't say probably, definitely, dampened my enjoyment of success. I probably should have enjoyed it a bit more than what mm. I did. But my, but my obsession to win, an obsession to be better, drove me to, right, that's done, it's dusted. Let's move on. I'm going to move on and I need to be better tomorrow. I need to do something tomorrow to make me better, the club better. Every single day, it just was relentless. And, and that's a little bit sad, look reflected, because the success was unprecedented. You know, a double treble, back-to-back, a world record. You know, all them things that haven't been done and probably won't be done again for a long time. I should have probably enjoyed it a bit more. But the nature and the manner of me as a person I'm a very obsessive person and certainly about the sport that I love in that the passion for it and the passion to be better wasn't gonna I was I was quite happy to forfeit the enjoyment because I wanted more and wanted more and wanted more and wanted more your success at TNS didn't go unnoticed and Hartlepool because of the nature of the club where it's based was that just too good to turn down in a way? I think it was. I think it was. You know, I probably, you know, I'd had interest from other clubs and that didn't quite tick the boxes. Uh, I was very ambitious. Um, I still get on really well with the chairman at TNS, the owner, Mike Harris. Uh, there was no grey area with me and Mike that I was ambitious and I thought I wanted to go and be the best I very could and push myself as far as I could. But I knew with that I had to succeed at TNS, so it was a win-win situation. You know, I was never going to get an opportunity to manage somewhere else if I wasn't successful at TNS. So everyone was everyone was a winner. So there was no hiding that. We have and had and still have a fantastic relationship, open and honest about it. The first day I met him, he probably laughed at me the first time I said that to him. Seeing coming from a part-time club like Airbus. In the first conversation on the first day was, I want to go and manage as high up as I can. It was probably a, a, he probably went away thinking, goodness me, Craig, what well, you know, that, you know, you, you you know, you think not think highly of yourself, but you know, you, you're obviously really driven and to where you want to be. But along that way, TNS had to be successful to, for me to get the opportunity, and we were, and, and I did get the opportunity, and you know, and it was a opportunity that at the time was probably good the right time to do it um i'd worked so hard tirelessly to get tns the best team i possibly could and left a fantastic legacy um to move on um with still a fantastic squad with the most titles ever won in the welsh premier league uh most uh, trophies ever won by a team in the welsh premier league most trophies won by a single manager in the welsh premier league and also world record so I just thought it was time and had the opportunity in a club like Hartlepool, known from having my northeast roots, knowing that yeah. 
They're a big club. They've just been relegated out of the Football League. I thought that I would definitely want to be involved with the one to get them back into the Football League. In terms of the time at Hartlepool, it was a tough time. Many yeah. managers since have had a really tough time. What I want to ask you, just in a lighter note, is Jeff Sterling's obviously a super fan mm. of the club. Did you have mm. any experience of meeting and speaking with Jeff about the club? Yeah, I did quite a bit. You know, the the first, the first, um, I think it was the first two or three weeks I was there. We done a prostate cancer run. I'd done a walk. Sorry, Jeff does does and has done unbelievable amounts of work for Prostate Cancer UK charity. And uh, me and me and me, my wife joined him on a one of his legs, one of the walk from from um, Middlesbrough to Hartlepool and won the legs and I, it, it took four or five hours and I had a good chat with Jeff all the way and you know and Jeff was a very, very good guy and you know and I appreciated all his support throughout the time as a manager and in in an absolutely die hard Hartlepool United fan, brought up in the area, uh, brought up in a, a working class area and just wants Hartlepool to do well. You know, his passion for the club, as as do all fans. You know, it was a tough time, very tough time. And there was times that, you know, were, were tough for myself from a personal point of view and, and took a lot of stick from fans. But, you know, you put yourself in that position, you, you know, you're the one out there on the touchline. And, you know, and there, there was, you know, to the end of it, it was very um, toxic and, you know, it was very tough and I had to draw upon all my inner strength to, to, to sort of let it roll over my head and realise that, you know, I understand it's their club, I understand they've been through a hard time and, you know, and, uh, you know, but on the, on the flip side as well, you know, I don't think they quite understood the, the what I was working with behind the scenes and the effort and the time I was putting in, in, into the club and doing everything I could, you know, and, and things were being pulled away um, from under my, underneath my feet on a regular basis, week in, week out, until right till the end. Absolutely, tough time, and you, you depart the club. You take over as banger manager, but it, yeah. you don't stay there too long because you get the opportunity to go to Corners Key. What was that like? Yeah, we, you know, you know, the, uh, well documented as well. You know, Banger City are one of the biggest domestic Welsh teams historically. You know, they have a fantastic following. Obviously, it's a little bit different now because there's a there's a split club now. There's there's a new banger formed, and obviously the old banger is still going, you know. And it's and it's sad to see because certainly my first time in the Welsh Premier League and previously beforehand, banger's history are fantastic from 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 a domestically Welsh Premier League point of view. You know, they are the last team that won the Welsh Premier League, apart from TNS, which was nine years ago, the year before I went into TNS. And, you know, and historically, uh, being a real big club in Wales, following area, history, tradition, you know, they're, they're, they're a fantastic club and a big club. And it's been sad to see the fractions and the split is what's happened there, you know. But obviously, you know, getting the chance to jump back into management as soon as I could, I wanted to, you know, without, without a shadow of doubt. And, you know, and then, and then quickly, quickly after that, had the opportunity to, to move to Connors Key as assistant manager because Connors Key had recently gone full-time. In terms of that, was full-time the big factor? 
Yeah, it was, you know, without a doubt. And obviously, I've got a fantastic relationship with Andy. You know, we, we had a brief spell playing together at Palace. Crystal Palace. Yeah, um, and got a lot of respect for Andy. And he, he's doing, a, he, he done and he's doing a fantastic job at Connors Key. And I wanted to be involved with that. Uh, I wanted to um, be involved with full-time football again. I wanted to work with players on a daily basis to make players better. And I also as well wanted to um, help Connors Key um, become a better full-time team. But uh, Andy hadn't worked with a full-time team before on a daily basis. Jay Catton, who was there, the, who's still there, is one of the um, coaching staff hadn't. And it was newly formed. And unfortunately, I'd had seven, eight years of, of full-time football experience um, to, to help as, as well where I could to try and help move the club forward as, as best I could, you know. In terms of the role at Connors Key, you've had some incredible success alongside Andy and Jay in Europe. The Stabek result, beating Kilmarnock, doing really well in the league this season, top of the league, winning the League Cup, winning the Welsh Cup. What's it been like working at Connors Key? Because, as I say, I, I was lucky enough to come down yeah. a few months ago and I just found that everybody around the club, yourself, Andy, all the players, the owners, I just found it absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's been brilliant. I've loved every minute of it. I think, you know... I probably and it's I probably because it's it's because I went through a really tough nine ten month spell at Hartlepool. It probably took more out of us than I thought it would have. Um, it probably took a little bit of time to sink in, and I really really enjoyed the coaching side of it. I really enjoyed working with Andy and Jay, um, and being possibly possibly you know not. Not the manager who who is the front of everything. I've really enjoyed taking a step back and getting back to really working on a daily basis with players and, and making players better and helping players to become better and, and really enjoying the nitty gritty of coaching on a on a day to day day to day basis. It, it's something you know. It's been a very um, I think therapeutic time I've spent with it because reflecting how well I had done at TNS, how successful we were, how I should have enjoyed it more. Now, probably a bit more of a more laid, not laid back, but a bit more open person than I was. And, and you know, I'm still intense and still got the, the real drive to do well with anything I do. But but almost the, the ability now, learning, maturing, at the grand old age of 42, <laughs> still got lots of years left in this. Still got 25 years left of coaching and managing left in this. But of reflecting on my time, uh, of how should I enjoyed it more and enjoying it more, and probably have enjoyed some of the big wins with Connors Key more so than I've enjoyed any other win wins because I've matured a little bit more and, and learned to grow and learn to understand that we all work hard on a daily basis, hourly basis. For, for the success and you've got to enjoy it more you've got to instead of probably my time at TNS where I enjoyed it for a short space of time right move on let's go what we're doing next how am I, who am I recruiting next how can I make this team better how can I make the club better how can I make me better how can I push on how can I win the league by more points how can I win more you know all them things I've learned to enjoy the winning side of it without losing that relentless edge of wanting to do better in whatever job I'm in. 
absolutely. And I want to, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but yeah. I hope you don't mind. Not at all. You, men- you mentioned you've got many years left in football. Yeah. You're loving life at Connors Key. It's clear yeah. to see. I've seen it firsthand down there. Do you want to be a manager in your own right again in the future? Hey, look, I, I want to be the best I can be at everything I do. That that's it. That's without shadow of doubt. Uh, I really enjoy working with Andy. You know, I've learned from Andy. You know, we've got a good relationship. I've, I've learned from Jay. We've got a fantastic relationship. Um, we we've done unbelievably well at Connors Key, and, and at this moment in time. I'd like to see where Connors Key go and how far we can actually take them. You know, TNS have dominated for that long that I, I really want to be involved to try and do the best for Connors Key, to try and push TNS and maybe try and get ourselves top of the tree and see where it goes from there. But as in want to be a manager again, yes, definitely, without a doubt, at some point I do. You know, I'm a little bit old and wiser. Actually, the, the, the biggest thing is that I probably find myself more well qualified now to be a manager than what I was when I was leaving TNS. All I'd experienced with TNS, well, I'd experienced some hardships or some diversity in Airbus, but to the point of being a full-time manager and having a lot of things that be more complete manager, full-time manager, I'm definitely better now than what I was when I left TNS because I've experienced, you know, a team almost going into administration with uh, Hartlepool, working on a transfer embargo, having players sold from underneath your nose, um, speaking to players about not getting paid, um, speaking to waves about not getting paid, managing off-the-field situations, um, probably enjoying more being able to win games, being probably a better all-round coach, being a better all-round person, as in a more stable person, instead of just being obsessed with winning. So it's strange, isn't it, how in football is probably one of the only <laughs> industries that, yes, I did get sacked at Hartlepool. Yes, to a certain extent, I failed with lots of things going on, not just my own doing. But I'm better now than what I was before I got employed by Hartlepool because I've had more experience. You know, So I'd like to think if and when the opportunity comes along, to be a manager again, people will see that and they'll understand that all them um, good times with TNS, yes, brilliant, and you know they were fantastic and some of the best days of my life in football. But also as well, the the not so good days make you a better person, make you a better manager, make you a better coach, make you a better all round person. To deal with adversity as well as success, you know, with with, with TNS there was always a, always the you need to win. If we drew a TNS, it was like being beat. If we beat a TNS, got beat a TNS, it was like getting beat 5 0. You know, the, 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 there was so much heightened expectations, and that was something to live with. And then, obviously, getting beat and struggling with the Hartlepool teams and struggling with all the off the field and struggling with having five, 6,000 people not being too happy and getting on your back, all that builds you up as a character and makes you a better all round person. You've learned a lot, as you've said, during your time in management. You've mentioned the fact that you're very happy where you are, and it's important to stress that. Yeah. Um, the future, who knows what the future holds in years and years to come. You've been involved with Connors Key in the Scottish game through the Iron Brew Cup, the yeah. Tullock's Caramel Weaver Cup. Being in Scotland, I'm just asking this out of sheer curiosity, would you consider managing in Scotland at all? 
Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule out anywhere completely. No, I would without a shadow of a doubt. I would. I, I wouldn't rule out anywhere. I'd, I wouldn't rule out moving abroad. I wouldn't move out to 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 a different country. You know, not at all. You know, I'm very very lucky. I've got a very supportive partner. In you know, in in a in a daughter that understands. You know, they moved. You know, you, you talk about adversity and you talk about making you a better person. You know, no one understands that. You know, it, it moving from. Chest at Hartlepool with my family, taking a five-year-old little girl out of our first year in uh, in primary school and moving to a new school. A wife whose business was moved away and who had to, who suffered, and then nine ten months later to to have to go and reverse that and bring everyone back to Chester, where a six-year-old little girl who was absolutely so happy in Durham in a new school, made lots of friends, and you've got to explain to her that you're coming back to Chester and you're going back in. And, you know, and that was probably one of the most heartbreaking situations. I'm a big boy. I can get on with it. You know, I can understand, you know, the the the, the highs and lows of football. If you're going to be in it long term, you're going to be sacked. You're going to be in, have bad times. You're going to have to move around, you know. But that was probably, you know, it took my little girl six, seven months probably to, to really establish herself back in her old primary school at six, seven year olds when other children at that age had formed really good friendships and when she'd left and taken away from the friendships that she formed. So all them things as well, no one sees that. You know, I, I remember at the interview stage of Hartlepool where the owner said to me, pretense of getting the job, signing a three year contract with a with a project that you're the one we want to drive it forward, that you have to bring your young family and move them to the area of Hartlepool. So up that we did that, we up and moved to be told eight months or seven months later that the owner refused to pay another penny of bills and wages. So within seven months of me moving, being face to face with the owner, saying I had to move, which I probably would have anyway, because it's a serious obligation and I take it very, very seriously. To then, seven months later, I've been told on the telephone that, sorry, Craig, you're not getting paid. The payers aren't getting paid. I'm not going to pay a bill. The internet's being cut off. The training ground's being closed. Everything. I'm not putting one more penny into this football club. So no one sees that behind the scenes of, of all the things that go along. You know, and then obviously the everything else, you know, transpires after that to you know players want to know when they why they're not getting paid players not training uh, uh, player ban not being able to bring any players in the three or four players I had who had short term contracts having to go back to the clubs on loan in January you know so all that isn't seen from from the supporters or from the the general public you know and like I said we, you know I know it's part and parcel of it and I don't want to Please feel sorry for me, but you know families have to come along that journey as well. But as I said, Absolutely. I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate. I've got a very, very understanding partner and a fantastic little girl that um, we wouldn't rule anything out again. I don't know whether I don't know whether brave or silly, but <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to finish around the quick fire questions. Yeah. First of all, best player, you, best player you played with. Uh, I've got to say Paul Gascoigne. Best against? 
best directly against uh, Georgie Kinkladze? Oh, good answer. Who would you say was the best manager in your career? Uh, Brian Robson. Um, most underrated player you played with? Um, I'd probably say Nigel Pearson. Who was the biggest character? Paul Gascoigne, without a doubt. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> in terms of management, I'm kind of putting you on the spot with this, but who would you say is the best player you've coached? Uh, well, it's funny because it was a Welsh Premier League five sides not so long ago, and probably as good as I have coached uh, would be Ryan Brubble. Good answer. Um, five sides team from your time at Middlesbrough? Oh, uh, Moxwater, um, Nigel Pearson, Paul Gascoigne, Paul Merson, and Ravinelli. Oh, what a team. Um, few non-football ones, Beach Holiday or City Break? City Break. Um, Favourite band? Strange. I don't listen to music awful lot. Um, so... I don't know, to be honest. Um, I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't name one. I, I'm. A, I'm a very much of a talk sport when I get in the car and listen to the radio. <laughs> um, favorite film? Uh, Godfather. Oh, good choice. Um, favorite food? Ooh. Probably Italian. Um, what would you say is the nicest place you've ever visited? The nicest place? Uh, I've been very fortunate to go to the south of France four or five times on holiday. It's something where I've been quite a few times. So that area, the south of France, Cannes, Nice, Monte Carlo, etc. The last question I've got for you is, if you could have played for any manager in any era of football when you were a player, who would you choose and why? Uh, I would probably choose Alex Ferguson. Why would you choose Sir Alex? I just think everything. I just think everything. You know what you what you see, what you hear. Honest, straightforward, um, fantastic with players. Was ahead of the trend with everything. You know, sports science. He, he brought. He put people in the right position to do the job. He just, I think he just had everything, and you know, we're closely would we'll have to be Pep just because I think he's probably revolutionized possession football. You know, big, big, big fan of Johan Cruyff's teams as well, you know, who was original, you know, and Arsene Wenger as well. So, but I think Alex, Alex Ferguson would be my first one, definitely. Craig, I'd like to thank no you for joining me in the podcast, but I'd also like to just thank you for your hospitality when I was down at Coniski. I really enjoyed it and I hope to be back soon. Not a problem, anytime. If you need anything, let me know and hopefully everyone will enjoy the podcast. If anyone needs to get in touch with me, you know, regarding the issues we spoke about, mental health, so on and so forth, then uh, my Twitter is available and um, please, please, please don't hesitate. Brilliant. Top man. Thank no you very problem. much. Thank you very much. Speak soon, Callum. Bye. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song They'll be filled with song 
dive down to the ocean I will 